0: For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by humans' hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. Because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, But to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now, the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we live by faith. we know what it is to fear the Lord we try to persuade others what we are is plain to God and I hope it is also plain to your conscience we are not trying to commend ourselves to you again but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart if we are out of our mind as some say it is for God If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died, and he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view.
1: Thanks Sarah, uh, and t- I can't remember if I mentioned, but just uh, for your reference too, that Friday Morning Growth Group is a men's group, so uh, that's a men's group that you can sign up for, uh, and I also just wanted to add, before we get into the uh, thinking about that passage, I just also wanted to add to Steve's words, uh, with respect to Natalie, just to honour Natalie for the work that she's done uh, in our church uh, over, well, the last forever <laughs> Uh, I think Natalie's done almost everything, every role that could, could be had in the church, pretty much. She's, uh, she's had it some time. Music, a leading leaf, running, helping to run Christianity Explored. She's been a real uh, workhorse, uh, diligent and faithful worker, and, uh, and she'll be missed. But we uh, pray for her, as, uh, as Steve has already done, uh, that God will continue to bless her in the years ahead. And I can certainly affirm that if you stop pedaling on a bike, you fall over. I did some riding this week, and uh, it turns out you can fall over even if you keep pedaling. Um, but uh, let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for all that you give to us. Lord, we thank you that you give us, have given us the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, and you have made yourself known uh, to us through him by your Holy Spirit and in your Word. And Father, we ask that you would do that this morning uh, and that you would challenge us as well, Lord, that uh, for those of us who know Jesus, that you would challenge us to live lives, to use the gifts that you've given us to make Jesus known to others as well. We ask it for Jesus' name's sake. Amen. Well, as Steve has said this afternoon, we're commissioning Peter and Anne uh, at our 4pm congregation uh, for their work in Niger. They're leaving this week. Uh, And heading for a couple of years to Niger, to do medical work uh, and to make Christ known there as well. And I asked them a little while ago what, uh, what it was that they would like me to preach on for their kind of commissioning service and they said that 2 Corinthians 5 would be a great passage uh, because that is one of the passages that uh, has really motivated them and as Steve has pointed out, uh, there in the, on the supporters card they have the words, the love of Christ compels us. Uh, And that is verse 14 uh, of this chapter. But this whole chapter is loaded with Paul's uh, missional heart. Uh, In a way, he's answering the question here, why would anyone do the kind of thing uh, that Peter and Anne are doing? Why would anyone uh, go away to Niger, to the other side of the world, to Africa? Why would they uh, pack up everything and take themselves off to the other side of the world to make Jesus known. Why would they do that when it's so difficult? Well, as we uh, say farewell and as we commission Peter and Anne this afternoon, I want to spend some time with you today thinking about Paul's heart for making Jesus known and how and why we should also share that same desire and that same heart that he has. Uh, We might not all go to Africa or to the Middle East or to South Asia, although maybe after today uh, you might think that you should, but wherever you are, if you know Jesus, God has called you uh, to make Jesus known and wherever you are, you can share the same missionary heart that Paul had and that Peter and Anne have as well. So in this passage, Paul gives then four reasons uh, for his work to make Jesus known. Uh, why, do we make, uh, why do we work to make Jesus known? Well, first of all, Paul says, out of confidence. In chapter 5, Paul's continuing the discussion that he's already begun uh, in the last few chapters, a long discussion about his suffering in ministry. Uh, In the previous section, he said that as Christians, we have this great treasure of the gospel of what God has done for us in Jesus. We have this great treasure of the gospel, but it's in a jar of clay. That is, it's in our frail human bodies. The shape, Paul says, of an authentic Christian ministry is death in us, but life in you. Death in us, but life in you. That is, just as Jesus' ministry to us, Uh, killed us, uh, killed him sorry, but brought us life just as Jesus' ministry killed him but brought us life, so our ministry to others kills us but brings life to others as well. There's no gospel ministry that isn't cross and resurrection shaped. Uh, There's no ministry or a gospel ministry that that is easy or painless. Gospel ministry always hurts because we follow a crucified uh, and risen Saviour. Why does Paul do ministry then? Why uh, does he bother with ministry when it's so painful? The answer is because he's absolutely 100% confident that even if his body is destroyed, he has a new body in a a new creation uh, waiting for him. Verse 1, For we know that if the earthly tent that we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Verse 6, Therefore we're always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. Verse 8, We are confident... Paul is confident, he knows, he trusts that there is this glorious future in store for him. When Peter and Anne spoke uh, a few months ago in church, they mentioned uh, that although Niger itself is relatively stable, a number of the surrounding countries, uh, like Libya and Mali and Nigeria, are quite unstable countries. Uh, Nigeria, for instance, is home to the Islamic militant group Boko Haram, which you may know of, uh, and there's uh, lots of political uh, instability in those surrounding countries as well. In other words, it's quite a dangerous place to go. In fact, this week, Open Doors released their World Watch List, that is the top 50 countries in the world that are dangerous uh, and for Christians, and Niger is number 50. Uh, they wrote in their, uh, in their World Watch list, "...the presence of Islamic extremism in the country puts pressure on Christians who risk harassment, abduction and violence because of their faith. A series of attacks in the last year, including by Boko Haram, have brought Niger into the World Watch list for the first time since 2016." I asked uh, Anne last week, after last week's sermon on Psalm 121, we we're talking about fear and confidence and trusting in God. And I said, Anne, what is it that you fear about going to Niger? She said, the thing she fears the most about going to Niger is being kidnapped. She said, the, the risk is probably low, but the risk is probably greater than it is for us here. And the other fear is not being able to cope with the heat. Apparently, January is the coolest month in uh, Niamey, which is the capital of Niger, but the average temperature for that month is 32.5. That's the coolest month. And the warmest month is April, with an average temperature of 41 degrees. Why would anyone suffer like that? Why would anyone do that? Paul says, because whatever happens to this body... Whatever we might suffer here, we have an eternal home, a resurrection body awaiting us when Jesus returns. So often we live in fear of what might happen. There is no greater thing, I think, to discourage our service and our ministry to God than fear. What keeps us from mission? Fear, fear of what might happen, fear of what might happen to us, fear of how we might suffer fear of what we might lose Paul says I'm not afraid I'm confident I know if you're afraid of making Jesus known then please pray that God would make you confident as Paul was confident not confident that nothing will happen but confident that even if we lose this body That God has an eternal home for all his people who know and trust his son Jesus. So the first reason that we do mission is confidence. The second reason that we have for uh, making Jesus known for doing mission is fear. Uh, Not fear of circumstances, but fear of God. Look at verse 9. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one of us may receive what is due for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Paul says he makes it his aim to please Christ because he knows that one day he will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. He's not talking here about appearing before the judgment seat of Christ for salvation or judgment. His preoccupation through this whole section of 2 Corinthians is with the quality of his ministry. He's thinking about, what he's thinking about is having to stand before Jesus on the last day and to give an account for his life. For the purpose of commendation or rebuke. How have I lived my life? Paul says, I have to give an account. Even believers who are acquitted of their guilt... With God, by the work of Jesus, by Jesus' death on the cross, we, we stand before God, righteous in Christ, acquitted, part of God's family. Even believers will have to stand before Jesus on the last day and give an account of our lives. We'll have to give an account of what we've done with the things, with the gifts that God has entrusted to us. Paul had been empowered and commissioned by God for gospel ministry. And Paul recognises that he has to give an account to God for that. In the words of Spider-Man's uncle, with great power comes great responsibility. Or as Jesus said sometime before that, from everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much much more will be asked. How does Paul respond then? He says in verse 11, since then we know what it is to fear God, fear the Lord we try to persuade others. Paul isn't talking the fear that he's talking about there is not about his fear of what might happen to other people, that may be part of it, that's just not what he's speaking about here. Rather, his fear here is his having to appear before Jesus and not having worked as hard as he could with the gifts that God had given him. His fear is that he might fail in the task that he had from Christ. He's not talking, please understand, about a kind of a servile fear. He's not talking about a kind of terrified fear. He's talking about kind of a reverent fear or a deep reverence and a respect of God, a healthy fear about what God will think of his ministry and his efforts. John Piper, in a famous sermon from over 20 years ago now, I think, once told the story of two elderly women, both of whom were nearly 80, and who died in a car accident while serving on mission in Cameroon. They'd spent most of their lives... Uh, as missionaries Uh, and one day their car plunged over the edge of a cliff and they both were tragically killed and piper said so often we hear stories like that and we think what an incredible tragedy two people dying and giving their life to make jesus known among the perishing we think what a loss but piper went on to point out that actually that's not really a tragedy 80 years serving Jesus, making Christ known to those who've never heard of him. That's not a tragedy. A tragedy is taking early retirement to live it up. To live it up on your 30-foot yacht, playing softball and collecting seashells. The tragedy, Piper said, was standing on the last day before God to give an account of what you had done with your life and saying, here it is, Lord, look at my shell collection. And look how great I am at softball. And check out my yacht. Piper said, that's a tragedy. Not giving your life and dying in the service of Christ. A tragedy is wasting your life and wasting the gifts that God has given. Well, Peter and Anne uh, have both retired. They both retired at the end of last year. Uh, And in our society, they would be well justified to put their feet up and just live it up. For the rest of their life they've they've earned it but that's not what they've done they've looked at the gifts that god has given them and they've asked how can we use these gifts so that we can give a good account of ourselves to god that is such a different question from the question that our society encourages us to ask as we approach retirement as we dream about retirement it might even be a completely different question from the question that your christian friends ask you what will you do in retirement and they're expecting you to say oh we'll just put our feet up live a good life you and i will have to appear before jesus at the last day and give an account for the life that we've lived and on that day what will you say to god Think about it. Think about it now. What will you say on the day that you stand before God about what you've done with the gifts that he's given you? The question is not, have you converted half of Tasmania single-handedly with nothing but a pocket knife and a page of John's Gospel? The question is, have you used the gifts that God has given you and entrusted to you To make Christ known and to serve Christ. If you haven't done that, then please begin today. And don't pretend that you really have given up everything to serve Christ when you haven't. But begin today by confessing, by admitting it. You know what, Lord? I've been living for myself. But today, from today, I want to start living for you. So that you can give a good account on the day that Jesus Christ returns. Why do we want to make Jesus known? We want to do it because of our confidence in a resurrection body and a new creation. We want to do it because of our reverent fear of appearing before Christ on the last day. Third... Why do we do mission? Why do we make Jesus known? Paul says, love motivates us. Verse 13, if we're out of our mind, Paul says, as some say, it's for God. If we're in our right mind, it's for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. Uh, It turns out that some people thought that Paul and his colleagues were out of their minds. Uh, And if you read 1 Corinthians, sorry, if you read 2 Corinthians, you can understand why they would have thought that he was out of his mind. Paul says that his ministry and his mission has been incredibly difficult. He says in chapter 3 that it's like being led as a slave in the victory procession of Christ. He doesn't know where he's going, and it's not particularly glorious. He says that his ministry, in his ministry, he's been hard-pressed, perplexed, persecuted. Struck down. Later in chapter 12, he talks about starving, being shipwrecked, going without sleep, being cold and naked. It's an incredibly difficult set of circumstances. He must be mad to live like that. Why would he do it? Paul says the answer is love. People think we're out of our minds, but we're not out of our minds. Christ's love compels us. Verse 14, For Christ's love compels us because we're convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. What love is it that motivates him? It's not his love for them... That's a weak foundation on which to build anything. Our love for other people, our love is so variable, it's so up and down, it's so changeable, so fickle, so uncertain. We don't know what we'll feel from one day to the next. Paul isn't building a ministry on his love, he's building a ministry on Christ's love. The extravagant love of Christ... Jesus died for all for all kinds of people from all kinds of places he died so that people might be delivered from selfishness and self-absorption to live for God you might think that Peter and Anne are a bit crazy and not just because they're going on mission but uh, you know just because they're weird people but you might think that also they're a bit crazy because they are doing this I mean who would do it Who would give up a comfortable life here and and be subjected to heat and hardship and sickness and danger in another country? Who would do it? They've got a nice new home. They could just stay here, just keep chipping away in church. I'd love it if they'd stay. Peter could keep doing sound at 4 pm, I wouldn't have to worry about finding a new person. But Christ's love compels them. Christ died for the people in Niger every bit as much as he died for you and I and for all the people in Launceston. And to put ourselves in danger is nothing compared to what Jesus has done. He suffered on a cross, the torments of hell, the wrath of God. No, Christ's love compels, Paul compels Peter and Anne. Christ's love ought to compel us. Compel is a strong word, actually. It's the word that's used in... Luke's Gospel for a crowd pressing in on Jesus. In other words, it's not just, oh, you know, I feel a bit convicted. You know, I feel a little nudge in my spirit that maybe I should share the Gospel with them. Compel is, I can't do anything else. I can't rest until I've made Jesus known. I feel hemmed in. There's nowhere else for me to go. Well, imagine with me how different it would look if every one of us was gripped by that love. Not our love for God and not God's love for us, but God's love for the world. So often I think we wait for our love to come to the boil, for our love to come to the boil, you know. But it never does, really. Or if it does, it doesn't stay there for very long. What we need to feed off every day is the extravagant and costly love of God for others, for a world that's perishing without Christ. Our society needs that. Our society needs to know that Christ has died for them so that they might no longer live for themselves but live for him. Every day our society is sinking into the morass of selfishness. where the I generation, where the people who live for ourselves and we're the, we're the generation of people who think that the world revolves around us. That every other person in the world has to organise their life around me and how I think that I, I am and, uh, uh, and how I want you to treat me. Our world is crumbling around the ideology of selfishness. But Paul says Christ died to free us from that. To free us from the slavery to ourselves so that we could be gripped by something far more satisfying. The desire to know and to love God. How much I wish that we were out of our minds and that people would think that we we were crazy because of what we did to make Christ known. Would you pray that with me this year? That by the end of the year, that when people think of the branch and that when people think of you, they would say, that Bob, he's crazy. Not because you're socially awkward, you know, or ask weird questions, but because you're so committed to making Jesus known. So confidence in a new creation, reverent fear of appearing before Christ at the last day, love, the love of Christ for the world, they all motivate Paul, finally too, the truth of the gospel motivates us to make Jesus known. In the last part of this chapter, Paul summarises what the gospel actually is, what the good news really is. Paul describes his ministry as a ministry of reconciliation. Reconciliation is where two, two parties have become estranged from each other uh, they're enemies, they're, 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 they're at war and they need to be reconciled. They, they need to become friends again, brought back together. And Paul says that's what his ministry is. It's a ministry of reconciling us with God. We were God's enemies. We were estranged from God and Paul comes with this message of reconciliation that through Jesus we can know God again. Through Jesus we can be brought back to God again. Verse 18, all this is from God Paul had been reconciled to God, he says. I was God's enemy, he says, and God has made me his friend, his child, his son. And having been reconciled through Christ to God, Paul says, now it is my task to make that reconciliation known to others, that they might be reconciled to Christ as well. The message of reconciliation is that in Jesus' death on the cross, God offers us the chance for our sins not to be counted against us. A chance for us to be forgiven and brought into God's family. Verse 21, God made him, Paul says, who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's often referred to as the great transaction. Jesus who had no sin, Jesus who was perfect. Jesus takes our sin on himself, endures the cost of it, dying on a cross. And what do we get? We get his righteousness, his standing before God, his place in God's family, his character. We're transformed by the Spirit more and more to be like him. That has got to be the worst deal in the history of the world. You know, imagine, if, imagine if I came to you and I said, you know what, let's make a trade. You give me your house and I'll give you this old toilet brush. You go, oh, that's, that's, not, a, that's not a deal. It is for me, but it isn't for you. Christ has given us all the riches of heaven, all the riches of God's family, all the riches of reconciliation with God. And what did he get? Death on a cross. Imagine if someone came to you today and said, if you ring up the bank today, they'll pay off the rest of your home loan. You just need to ring them up. Do you reckon you'd go out and tell your family? Mum, Dad, guess what? You just need to ring up and they'll pay it off. Your brother and your sister. The people at work. Jesus has done something even more remarkable. Paid off a debt to God that we could never repay. And Paul says... Because of the truth of that, the extraordinary truth of that, I've given my life to making that known. Well, in a couple of weeks, we're beginning our survey series here at The Branch. We're kicking off the year with evangelism, with making Jesus known. And that's an opportunity for all of us to try and make Jesus known just by doing something as simple as inviting someone along to church to hear about what do we live for. Just by talking to someone at work, asking them, what do you live for? It's an opportunity for us to make Jesus known. It's not very difficult. Why would we bother? Paul says we would bother because we're convinced of a new creation. We're fearful of standing before God and giving an account. We're compelled by Christ's love for all, for a whole world. And we're compelled by the truth of reconciliation through faith in Jesus Christ. Why would any of us make the effort? That's why. That's why Paul made the effort. And that's why Peter and Anne are making the effort. Let's pray that we'll make the effort as well. Let's pray that now. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the extraordinary truth of what you've done in Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you that uh, we were, when we were your enemies, Christ died for us. Uh, that he took all our sin and nailed it to the cross in himself. That he died and suffered your wrath, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And he rose from the grave triumphant, And he has sent his Holy Spirit to unite us with him, to change us to be like him. And one day he will come back to gather all his people. Lord, for those of us who know that message and have received that truth, we thank you so much. But Lord, we also confess that having believed, so often we haven't spoken. Lord, we've been afraid not of the raised fist, but of the raised eyebrow. And Lord, we confess that, And acknowledge that and ask that you would forgive us. And Lord, we ask that the truths of this passage, the truths of the gospel, would compel us into action. That we would be hemmed in from today onwards. That we would be compelled by love, by Christ's love for the world. That we would be compelled by the truth, by the confidence we have that even though our body is dying, inside Christ is making us new. Lord, that we would be compelled by the knowledge that one day we will have to give an account for our lives. And Lord, that we will be compelled by the wonder of the truth that Jesus became sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Lord, we ask all these things for Jesus' sake. Amen.